Genesis 33. So um, I was talking recently to somebody about mistakes, and I was trying to help him. So I said, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes, and usually people want to know what, what kind of mistakes you've made. I don't know what it is in us, but we like to hear other people's mistakes. So I said, well, the first time I ever did communion at Edgewater, I did it backwards. So I did the cup, and then I did the bread. And I didn't even know I had done it. And I walked off the stage right here, and this older lady, she came up to me, and she's like, why did you reverse communion? And then I'm thinking in my mind, did I reverse communion? And I'm trying to think back, and I'm like, oh, I did reverse communion. She's like, I've been going to church my whole life. I've never been in a communion service when someone reversed communion. Why did you reverse communion? And I was thinking like, hmm, uh, Jesus got it wrong? I mean, what answer do you give right there? I just said, well, I'm a moron. That's why. Sorry. I will not do that again. There was no reason over the, over, other than I made a mistake. And then I, I also said the first wedding I did, this is what I did at the first wedding. Uh, the normal way you do a wedding is when dad brings the bride down, they get in front of you, and you pray or do something, and then you ask the question, right? Who gives this woman to this man? And then that kind of starts the procession. Well, I was so like, it was a real mixed multitude. Um, There was a ton of like marijuana growers, so I was really excited about sharing the gospel. So they got up here, I prayed, and I just started preaching. And I was a good like three minutes into it when I could kind of feel you can sometimes just feel like something's not right right now. <laughs> what isn't right right now? And I look at her. She's glaring at me. I'm like, I bet you thought I forgot you. She goes, yes. She just threw her flowers at me. No, I'm kidding. She didn't do that. <laughs> that been, she should have. I deserved it. <laughs> so I'm like, I just kept sharing, like, you know, we make a lot of mistakes. Uh, and sometimes the mistakes we make can cast a really long shadow on our life. And we're going to see that kind of shadow in this chapter today. And when I think about like mistakes and how they can lead to really global ramifications, my best example is the war in Afghanistan in the 1980s. If you're a student of history, you know The USSR wanted to take Afghanistan. And so they moved down there, started a war in there, um, and they just got muddled in it. It was was a nightmare. The United States at that time, because of the Cold War, uh, had this practice of going in and arming the resistance and helping them fight against wherever the USSR, USSR was fighting. So the CIA went to Afghanistan and trained fighters in Afghanistan to fight uh, the USSR. Well, the USSR in like 89, because of what's happened, they pull out of Afghanistan and so did the CIA. But they left behind all these trained Afghan fighters who then formed, they were called the Muhyiddin. And after a while, they formed this group called the Taliban. And the Taliban started this kind of radical way of looking at Islam and they blowing up the statues of Buddha and doing this, these things, you know, like this is our brand. And it attracted this very rich sheikh from Saudi Arabia named Osama bin Laden. And he comes and joins with them, becomes the mastermind of 
Because in 9-11, we start the Afghan war, we start the Iraq war, and we have the war on terror, and we probably have ISIS because of that. All because of the CIA going to Afghanistan in the 1980s and training some people that end up kicking this rock that hits these other rocks and boom. That's a long shadow right there. We don't know where that shadow is going to end, in fact. Still don't. Sometimes mistakes can have a massive shadow. The mistake Jacob makes in chapter 33 darkens the rest of Genesis. It is a massive mistake. See if you can pick it out. It's in our first three verses. And Jacob, if you remember chapter 32, what happened in chapter 32? Jacob wrestles with the one, I just call him the one. Hosea 12 would say, it's none other than Yahweh. It's the second person of the Godhead. Um, the God, the son who becomes incarnate, becomes Jesus, wrestles with Jacob, touches his hip. Uh, Jacob won't let him go until he blesses him. And then what does he do to Jacob? Changes his name, very good. Changes it to what? Israel. Prevailer, it's all these things. So he has a different name now. But what name does chapter 33 call him? Jacob, pay attention to that. That's a marker for you. When it uses the name Israel, it's saying something. And when it uses the name Jacob, it's saying something. There's two, if you would. There's the new man and the old man. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, Esau was coming. Remember the story. He's coming home from Laban. He's got one fear, Esau. He sends out a group to check. Hey, what's Esau doing? Is he going to allow me to come? The group comes back and says, Esau's coming with 400 men. So Jacob's freaked out. Wrestles with the angel, get, or the one I should say, gets his hip out of socket. Now the moment has come. Esau's coming, 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants and their children, they're his kids too, in front. Then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. And he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. What's the mistake he makes here? He arranges his children according to how he values them. The first ones will be wiped out and killed, and hopefully it will give time for Rachel and my favorite Joseph to escape. His number one is Joseph. This is the shadow that's now going to be cast over the rest of Genesis, right? This favoritism does not help Joseph one bit. We'll get to chapter 37. Joseph is a messed up kid. You know the story. His dad loves him so much, he makes this fancy coat for him. The coat means this. It means he's the boss, essentially. He's wearing a coat that signifies he's the superintendent. So the 11 brothers now know dad's got his eye on Joseph as the favorite. Our little brother is going to be 
our boss. And then he has these dreams. You know the dreams? So in the morning he comes and he's like, man, I had this crazy dream last night. You guys all made these things, of these, these bundles of wheat? And then I made one. And mine stood up tall and proud and all of yours fell over and bowed to mine. And his brothers were like, dude, we're not bowing down to you. Get your fancy coat and get out of here. And then what does he do? No, 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 wait, I had another dream. And what's his second dream about? Them bowing down to him along with his mom and dad, right? What do you call a person that does that? A narcissist or a sociopath. That's what it is. You have no idea how your words are hurting somebody else. Like he is clueless to that because of this sheltered thing his dad has done to him. So he is saying things that are hurting and harming his 10 brothers, and he doesn't even realize it. He just says it again to them, just over and over. He is a broken individual, insensitive, right? No understanding of how his words hurt people. We all know people like that. If you don't, yeah, <laughs> repent, okay? So this is the shadow that's going to loom over the rest of Genesis. God, thankfully, is able to pierce that shadow and bring good from it, but it didn't have to go this way. So Joseph is now singled out as his favorite. And the one thing that Jacob does right is verse three. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. That's what dad should do. Dad should be out in front of the family protecting it. Right? If we're taking a walk as a family and a pit bull comes running out to attack my family, and I know I'm going to email on this where someone will say, pit bulls are great dogs. Why do you single out poor pit bulls? Maybe they are great dogs. I don't know. But the story doesn't work if it's a teacup poodle or a golden retriever. A golden retriever comes out. Ah! What's he going to do? Slobber on you. Right? So a pit bull, just for the sake of the story, comes out. I'm not going to use Myron as a shield. Right? My four-year-old, no. As a dad, there should be something in a dad that like Jacob, you say, I'm going first. I'm out there first. That is a healthy, good thing in men. Something that in our kids, we should encourage. So Elijah, he's 10. This is what he wants to be. He wants to be a fireman, a policeman, or a soldier. Now, I don't know if I want him to be any of those three, but you know what I say to him? I love those jobs because they serve and protect people, Elijah. That's what I want you doing. You serve and you protect people that are weak and vulnerable. Those are great things to do. So Jacob has that still in him. He does that right. And here's what happens, verse four. But Esau ran to meet him. Now, just for a moment, put yourself in Jacob's shoes. He's bowing himself, he's coming up. He looks up, his brother who wanted to kill him gets off of his camel or donkey or whatever he's on and comes running towards him. What do you think Jacob's doing at that moment? He's just like, it's coming, ah! right? So Jake, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children, he said, who are these with you? Dude, you have been busy. How many kids do you have? 
<laughs> How do you remember all those names, man? Wow. <laughs> Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. And Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt gracious with, graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. How's that for good news? His greatest fear, this skeleton that had been in his closet for 20 plus years, all's forgiven. Unexpected for Jacob. I said this a number of times, the more I read Genesis, the more I like Esau, the more I like him, the more I see like how flawed Jacob is and the more I like Esau. Like Esau was able to get over all his junk, right? He's able to get over it. He's able to forget it. He's learned this great thing that he quit st stumbling over what he had left behind. He just quit doing that. I think some people can never learn that. They keep going back to what that was behind them, what somebody did to them or how somebody treated them, and they keep going back and stumbling over what lies behind them. It takes work to go backwards like that. Esau's like, hey, man, that's 20 years ago. I'm good. I'm good. I have this saying, when the past calls you, don't answer. It doesn't have any new information because it's in the past. Quit answering the past. Why do you keep doing that? Man, move forward. Esau is so healthy at this point. He's like, dude, I don't want your money. I'm not in this for the money. I'm not in this for this. I know when I was young, I didn't value the things that I should have valued. I didn't value the birthright and the blessing. I didn't value family and heritage and my position. I blew it, but now I do. Now I know what matters. It's relationships. It's you as my brother. That's what matters, not money. Like, I really like Esau. He's able to reconcile here because he can put the past behind him. As believers, we're supposed to be the ones that move toward reconciliation. If there are people in your past that you have issues with or people right now that you have issues with, be the peacemaker, be the reconciler. If you don't know how to do that, read the book of Philemon. It's one chapter long, an easy read for a very difficult topic, which is reconciliation. And there's just this brilliant way that God leads Paul to write to this guy named Philemon to reconcile with this slave that had hurt him very bad. It's brilliant. Read it, pray, and do what God tells you. Reconcile. So Esau says, man, I don't want it. And Jacob, there's this interesting little play, and you can't see it unless you look at the Hebrew. But Esau says, verse 9, I have enough. The Hebrew there is the word rob, which means I have much. 
hey, I've got a lot. Then Jacob says, no, please accept my blessing because God has dealt graciously with me, looking at you, reconciliation. You're not mad at me. It's like seeing the face of God. And then he says this, because I have enough. But the word that Jacob uses is a very different word. It's not much. It's the word kol in, the, in Hebrew. And it means I have everything. I have everything now. now I've got kids and a wife, and, but more than that, we're good now. I have everything. Jacob is discovering what we know from scripture, which is one of my favorite verses, Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. Now unto him that's able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ask or think for his glory. That, that, like Jacob couldn't dream this big. The night before when he's wrestling with the one, he couldn't dream this big. You mean it's gonna go down like that? Oh, that's better than I could ever imagine. Jacob, what we're watching with Jacob is this. He had no Bible to read, right? He, we have a great advantage. We can find out about God's character. He had no Bible to read. So Jacob is learning about God's character by life's journey, by Bethel, by Jabok, by Laban. He's learning about God's character now by all these things. And what he's finding is this. Wow, God is better than I can ever imagine. God has given me everything I could possibly want. I don't want anything else. I hope as believers, we have the Bible, which is awesome. But I hope life is teaching you that God is exceedingly, abundantly more gracious than you can imagine, giving you everything. I think that's what it's supposed to be like. I think the journey with God is supposed to be like this. Uh, I've used this illustration before. I'll use it again. It's like these sunglasses this friend of mine gave me 11 years ago. I still have them to this day. But he gave me these sunglasses. And at that point in my life, uh, I had a newborn. She was one and a half. I had a three-year-old and a four and a half, five-year-old. And so I bought very cheap sunglasses because here's what would happen over and over to my sunglasses. I would put them on and there'd be these two nice teeth mark right where you're trying to see, right? Because they would just, for some reason, sunglasses are delicious to babies. So they just want to chew on them. So I just bought cheap sunglasses. Well, this guy gave me these sunglasses and I thought nothing of it. I just threw it in my truck. And uh, a couple days later, I'm driving, it's sunny. So I put them on. And I was like, wow, these things are like crystal clear. They're not like the Dollar Tree glasses. You can actually see through these. These are awesome. I'm like, how cool. And then you know how some sunglasses, they're too tight on your temples and they just kind of give you a headache. After a little while, you got to take them off. They leave like red spots on the side of your head. You're like, ow, these did not do that. I'm like, what? They, I, could, I didn't even know they were on my head. I'm like, wow, these are getting better and better. So I took them off and I started looking at them and on one side, it said titanium. I thought, man, is that really titanium? Or is it just saying titanium? Like, that's the name. I was like, oh, that's, they're really lightweight though. So it had a little model number on it. So I wrote down the model number and I put them back in my truck. A couple days later, I was on Google. So I just Googled the model number. And those sunglasses were $279. So I'm like, where are they at? Kids, don't touch them. Where are my sunglasses? <laughs> right? Like, ah, oh, they're precious to me. Am I precious? Get away. <laughs> I still have them to this day. That's the way the gospel should be to us. Like at first, it's like, oh, that's cool. We, I'm saved. Awesome. 
And after a couple of days, like, oh, well, no, it's even better. Oh, you mean Jesus? Oh, it should, that's, I think the gospel should be like that. Like Jacob's discovery of what's happened to him. I have everything. I am the most blessed person on all the earth, right? He has reconciliation with his worst enemy here. And he goes, I got everything I want now. Everything I want. I think reconciliation is one of the biggest things that will bless you as an individual. Matthew 18 gives us the steps to do it. And when you reconcile with somebody that you had odds with or problems with, there's something, there's a blessing. I think it's from heaven that comes into your life. Reconcile with people. You'll find, I think like Jacob, the gospel just gets better for you. You can say like him, I have everything. So now they seem happy, they seem good. So here's what happens. Esau says, let us, Journey on our way. Join with me, brother. If you have ever had a brother that left for a little while, when they come home, it's like a really cool thing. My older brother, when I was like 16, he went to Alaska and fished up there, king crab for a while, and then he came home. I remember I was so excited for my brother to come home. It was like, hey, let's do something together. Let's go, all right, like we're home. Let's, let's have fun again. I think that's what Esau's doing. Hey, let's journey together. Man, I'm gonna go ahead of you. I'm gonna protect you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, well, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, oh, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth, literally means tent city. I think it's in Portland. Have you seen it up there? It's amazing. And built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place it called Sukkoth, the tent city. What just happened right here? I call this the old man. What does Jacob do to his brother? He lies. Hey, I'll meet you in Seir. But you know what? He turns around and goes the opposite direction to this place called Sukkoth. Has Jacob ever lied before? Yeah, he has, right? So Esau wants to bless his little brother. I want to protect you. I want to get to know you again. I want to journey with you. I want to help you. And for some reason, Jacob will not let him. Why don't you think Jacob will let Esau bless him? Fear? Like, is he really, really forgiving me? Maybe he hasn't. I don't know. Maybe this is a trick. Maybe he's going to get me there. I don't know. Maybe it's, um, I don't want to inconvenience him. Oh, no, no, no. It's too inconvenient. Maybe he doesn't want to look weak. It's possible. But I think this is the number one reason because I think it's the number one reason with men, pride. Now I don't need help, I got it. 
I'm a DIY guy, man. I don't need help. If the body is ever to work well, if people are actually able to serve, then guess what? They have to be able to serve somebody. They have to be able to serve you or me. If someone wants to bless you, let them. Don't allow your pride to get in the way like Jacob did. Let people bless you. Let them serve you. It's a blessing for them, and it'll also bring you a relationship with them and humility. I think it's pride. I don't need them. So Jacob, who, his story is this. He's had Bethel. Remember what Bethel was? Heaven's open. Ladder going up and down. Angels going up and down. God comes down, stands beside him. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to give you this land and I'm not going to let anything bad happen to you. Yeah, awesome. He builds an altar. Uh, you know, that's a momentous occasion, right? 20 years, Laban's trying to get him. God appears to Jacob. God appears to Laban. Protects Jacob. Wow, that's awesome. Esau's coming to get him. Goes out, wrestles all night with God. Touched in the hip. Name has changed from Jacob to Israel. Like these are huge, huge, huge events in his life. And what does he do? He still lies. What does it make you think of Jacob? Do you think he's a moron? Or do you think he's a mirror? Because that's kind of what's happened to you and to me. That even though we've had this history of God doing these great things in our lives and through our lives, there's these times that we think, oh, shouldn't I be better? Shouldn't I not be doing this stuff? I mean, God's done all these things in my life and I've seen his work and, and I'm still lying and I'm still cheating and I'm still, dis oh, Oh, you ever say, I can't believe I did this again. You ever say that to yourself? I think that's what Jacob would be saying. I can't believe I lied again. Why do you even lie about this? Why, that's a stupid lie. Why, why don't I just tell him, you know, I'm not going to see him. I'm going to go to Sugath. Why? I, I'm just a liar, right? I had this really long conversation with this guy yesterday. And he was greatly disappointed himself as a believer, doubting his salvation, all those kind of things. I should be better. I shouldn't be doing this stuff. This is what I told him. I said, I think there's a giant difference in being a religious person and being a gospel person. And the way you know if you're being religious or being gospel is how you respond to failure. Are we the religious Pharisee of Luke 18 who's like, I'm tithing and I'm fasting and I'm so glad I'm not like that moron over there. Because if you are, when you don't tithe right or when you break your fast wrongly or when you lie, guess what's gonna happen to you? You're gonna be depressed, disappointed in yourself. You're gonna feel like you lost something. Like, I thought I had something. I was so good. I'm not. And very often that will drive you away from God because you think God's disappointed in you like you're disappointed in yourself. On the other hand, if you really understand grace, when you fail, you realize this. You don't like it, no doubt, but you realize this. This is the way I get changed. This is Psalm 139. God's searching my heart. He just revealed something to me. I'm a liar. I've been a liar for a long time. And so here's my opportunity to be changed. My opportunity to allow grace to move me and to change me. 
So I said, how you deal with failure can tell you, am I a religious person that gets bummed out and depressed by this? Or am I a gospel person that says, okay, this is the way God changes me. All right, let's change. Let's go forward, right? I said, I think communion is to be that moment that, that you actually feel God's grace. So a, a life-changing thing for me in communion was something I read and it was about two and a half years ago. And it was what Jesus says when he gives communion to his disciples. He says, do this in remembrance of your sin. Is that what he says? Do this in remembrance of how worthy you are. Is that what he says? Because that's what was, communion was to me for about 42 years it was do this and remember your sin and confess every single one of them because if there's one left, you're gonna die when you drink that. And literally, that's what I thought. Make sure you are worthy enough. Are you worthy enough? And so I told this guy, the 12 disciples that get communion given to Jesus, were they worthy? Because the Bible tells us they were actually arguing about which one, was, which one of them was the greatest right before communion. One of them's gonna go and deny Jesus three times. Another one's going to go betray him. Were they worthy of communion? No. So Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. That when you're sinning your sins into me, I looked at you and I said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Communion is the reminder of how giant Jesus's grace is. And that every time you realize how big Jesus is, Man, it's the healthiest thing to ever happen to a believer. He becomes your hero. He becomes your anchor. He becomes your strength. And it's not about you anymore. It's not about how great you are or how, how uh, pure you are, or how worthy you are. It's how great he is and how much he loves me. And God gets magnified in that moment. And when you get your eyes off yourself and your sin and your junk, you're transformed. That's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. Put your eyes on him and God's spirit metamorphosizes you. Something, it just, it's miraculous happens. His love grabs you and changes you and converts you. So when the enemy calls, I told this guy, when the enemy calls to condemn you, take that as an opportunity to turn it into a trophy of God's grace. I know I can't believe he loves me either. I know I blew it there and I can't believe Jesus loves me and I'm part of his body. He's not gonna let go of me. Man, that's what you do with failure. Jacob right here failed again. And guess what? God does not give up on him. His story doesn't end here. God's not like, after last night, are you kidding me? You're limping right now. You're gonna lie again? God doesn't do that. He does not give up on Jacob. The brilliant grace of God. So, verse 18. Jacob came safely to the city. It's a, such a fascinating word to put right there. Because chapter 34 is nothing but safe. It's not safe at all. Jacob came safely. The, the word there is actually shalom. He came with peace <laughs> to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Pandanaram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he pitched his tent. He actually has to buy it from the tribe. Like there's this, um, th this rule kind of at that time that all land was owned by the tribe. 
So if you're going to sell a piece of land, the entire tribe had to agree, yeah, we'll sell it to that guy. It was, it was like ancient CCRs, like, no, I think they might grow pot. We're not going to grow it to sell it to them, right? It's like that kind of protection on the land. So they had to like evaluate, yeah, we like him. Okay, we'll sell him land. It was, it's a pretty cool thing, actually. So he buys it, pitches his tent, verse 20, and there he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel, the God, the God of Israel. So this is the first altar that Jacob builds. That's the good. The bad is he builds it in the wrong place. He is now halfway to Bethel. And the ugly is all of chapter 34, which we did on Sunday. The rape, the genocide, the murder. What you have in verses 18 through 20 is what I call almost obedience. Almost obedience is disobedience. He almost obeys God. God has told him way back in Paddanaram, go back to Bethel. I'm the God of Bethel. This is where I want you to be. He doesn't quite make it there. He gets halfway if you would. Stays in this place called Shechem because it's a great place to raise flocks and it's really, really lush land. We're just going to hang out there. And then what happens to him there? It's really bad. Partial obedience is not obedience. King Saul found this out. So if my son Elijah, if I told him, Elijah, take the trash out and put it in the trash can outside. If he took the trash and just went out the back door and set it out there, and then that's all he does. So the next morning I'm leaving for an elders meeting and I come out and a bear has gotten to it because we had a bear around and just spread it all over the place. Do you think I'm happy with his almost obedience? No, he made it worse. But he made it worse. You should have just left it inside. This is worse. Partial obedience is disobedience. If God told you to move to Portland and you only made it to Eugene, is that obedience? So God is pursuing Jacob and wanting him to get to Bethel, not because he's trying to be a bummer, but he knows, Jacob, this is where you belong. This is where you belong. I want to get you where you belong and where you can thrive and your family can thrive. And it's not going to happen in Shechem. The opposite's going to happen. When God speaks to us and directs us, our job is to trust and obey because there's no better way. He wants the best for us. He doesn't want chapter 34. There should be no chapter 34 in the Bible. If Jacob had just obeyed, we'll get, uh, if you look at chapter 35, God says to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel. It's like, oh, dude, come on. Really? You had to go through this? Get to Bethel. And we'll actually do this on Sunday. The reviving of Jacob. Brilliant chapter. So I was going to go through 34 because it's such an uplifting chapter. Uh, but this morning I was meditating and thinking and, and I don't do this very often, um, partially because I think that I don't like surprising people, but it, it feels like there's like, I don't even know, I don't know how to, explain, how do you put your finger on it? It feels just like there's something wrong right now. You ever, do you feel that? Like a girl, a 13-year-old girl getting hit at a bus stop. 
Now that breaks my heart. I have a 12-year-old girl. It's, oh. And then a 15-year-old girl in our same beautiful town of Rogue River commits suicide. And you're like, oh, right? And you have this guy on Halloween takes his rental truck and wrecks into a bunch of people in Manhattan. You're just like, oh, right? How many more of these can we take? So I, I, I happen to be reading Ephesians and Ephesians says this. It's Ephesians 6. It's about the armor of God and our wrestling match and who we wrestle with. But, but the, the thing that got me was this. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that the end that we'd keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Two weapons there, God's word and prayer. So what I'd like to do is take, I won't take long, 14 minutes max, and just pray. Pray about some things in our community. So here's what I would like you to do. I would like you to pray with somebody, but I don't require that. Um, I'm gonna try to give the topic. Um, and what you see in scripture is when people are really desperate, they pray, they, it, it says, it, the word is used, they cry aloud. And so you can pray quietly if you want to, but I think there's something really unique when we pray loudly. I don't mean yelling, but actually where there is a hum in this room of prayer. And so I just wanna take 14 minutes and pray about some things. So if you can grab somebody, if you can't, I understand that. If you're uncomfortable with that, grab somebody. And here's the first thing I want us to pray about. When you look at every revival, and there's gonna be a revival here of Jacob in chapter 35. Every revival, you know what it begins with? Someone got it right back there. What'd you say? Repentance. That is the theme when you look at revival. I have this book, Revival by Martin Lloyd-Jones. That's the theme. It's when God's people repent. So Daniel, in his book, when he starts seeing things are gonna happen, he just gets on his face and he repents the sins of his nation. And he says, they're my sins as well. So I want to just take a moment and repent. God, the body of Christ, you know what cerebral palsy is? Yeah, it's a disease where your body stops obeying the brain. And in the majority of cases, mentally, the person is fully there. Uh, the head is perfect. The body's in rebellion. It's flopping around doing its own thing. I think sometimes the church has cerebral, cerebral, cerebral. Is it cerebral, right? Cerebral? What? It's CP. Ah, thank you. I like that. It's good to have a doctor in the house. CP, I think sometimes the church has CP. It, there's like this, uh, the head is perfect and it's giving good instructions and we're like flopping and not, not obeying. And so there is a time where you say, Jesus, forgive me for my apathy. Forgive me for not caring. Forgive me not, for not praying. Forgive me not, for not being desperate for you. Forgive me for not loving your people the way you have loved me. Forgive me of that. Nationally, locally, 
individually. So take two minutes and just repent. Repent for us as a church, repent for us as a nation, repent, okay? And do it out loud, loudly. Thank you.